Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. Let's get started. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> that was a great yeah. episode, Joe. <laughs> anyway, so what's going on this week, Dave? <laughs> we should start this pattern where every episode begins with, well, that's our show. <laughs> the entire show is after show. The whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Maybe this entire show is just after show for massively unqualified development. <laughs> well, technically that's true, but. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what's going on, Dave? Uh, not a whole lot on my end. What's going on with you, Joe? Not much. I've, uh, like we talked a little bit about last week, I have been, uh, poking my head into daydream, pun intended, and waiting all week to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, no, that's that's very bad. It's bad that I wrote it down, too. Oh, Joe. I guess, I guess you could also say that I'm a daydream believer. Oh. <laughs> Okay, that's going to have to go. Anyway. Well, that's our um, show, folks. <laughs> Forever. That was the last episode. Right there. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, so I started diving into daydream development, and I wanted to see how far I could get in terms of just like a simple Hello World <laughs> app, both in Unreal Engine and Unity. So I did that on... Monday, I spent about three hours Monday morning working in Unreal Engine, just following through the documentation and installing all the SDKs and just trying to walk through everything. And then finally got it up and running where I was able to build an Android app with the Daydream stuff and put it on my head. And it was just a blank project with, you know, a regular plane. Basically, whenever you hit a new create a new map or a new level in Unreal Engine. Um, at that point, I still had quite a lot to do to get some of the Google VR stuff working, including controller input and moving stuff around, things like that. So I stopped for lunch, and I came back and decided I'm going to do the same thing in Unity. So I had already installed Unity on Sunday, so I started working through that process. And within... I think less than half an hour I had a Hello World app with a bunch of sample content and interactive objects, just primitives like cubes and stuff, and the controller working. I'm like, I think I'm going to move over to this for now. Um, not necessarily entirely for all my development, but as I look more and more into daydream development, I think I'm just going to shift my focus over to Unity. And so far, I haven't been disappointed. I spent very little time in Unity up until this week. I, I poked my head in it a couple of months ago, I think back in January or February, and just you know followed some tutorials and stuff. So I've been trying to brush up on it now, and not as much. There's not as much different about it as Unreal Engine as I had thought there would be. Obviously, they're both they're completely different platforms, and they handle common problems in different ways, but 
I don't feel like I've wasted my time with one or the other because there are so many similarities between just what I'm actually doing at the end of the day. Yeah, it's meshes and materials and levels and mm-hmm. chunks of code yeah. that back things and actors and all of that stuff. Yeah, one thing that I like about it is how quickly when I when I update some code in C sharp in Visual Studio and jump back over to Unity, it's already updated. The inspector is updated. You see maybe maybe see a quick refresh, things like that, but it's doing it all in real time, whereas in Unreal Engine I have to recompile that code a lot of the time to get those changes to show up. And so that part is really nice. It saves a lot of time. Um, I haven't written a ton of code, and the projects are all pretty small, but the compile times and build times have been really low. Like almost obnoxiously fast compared to what I was looking at in Unreal Engine, and hmm. it's entirely possible I've just had something set up wrong in Unreal Engine the whole time. But there have been times where I write a couple lines of code in Visual Studio, go back to Unreal Engine and compile it, and I'm waiting 45 seconds to a minute and a half, and then you know doing that 40, 50 times a day that adds up pretty quickly. Where I haven't run into that yet in Unity. Obviously, I everything I've written is. I don't think I've got a single C sharp file with more than a hundred lines of code in it so far. Like these are just mm-hmm. simple little things to see how stuff works. Um, the other really big advantage that C sharp has over C plus plus is I know you and you know some C sharp. <laughs> that that may prove advantageous at some point. I definitely think it will. Um, yeah, it just seems that we've talked about it before on our previous podcast, but C Sharp and Swift have a lot in common in terms of just how things are done. So having worked in Swift for a while, it doesn't seem alien to me at all. It's a little bit more verbose in areas, mm-hmm. but nothing that I can't get used to. Um, okay, so that's not you just quoting me and saying that, but you're looking at the code and going, okay, yeah, I see basically how this works. Yeah, definitely. Okay, okay. I, I, I hadn't had anybody else confirm. There aren't a lot of people running around, as far as I can tell, who are C-sharp programmers and Swift programmers. And so finding somebody who can tell me whether I'm crazy to say that these two are, in a lot of ways, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um. I couldn't tell whether that was just me projecting some sort of desired familiarity or whether it was really that similar. Yeah. I mean, it seems like Swift in general has just taken the best of a lot of different programming languages and then tried to change things for the better where they can. Mm -hmm. I haven't even looked at Swift 4 yet. (laughs) You know, there's just a ton of changes. I'm like, I don't want to wrap my head around that right now. But uh yeah, so far I like it. I the resources that I've been learning from so far, I signed up for the Unity Pro trial and they sent me a license key and a bunch of resources including a link to a Unity certified developer course, which is a video course. I think it's around 20 hours altogether and it is really slow, 
but not in a condescending way, but in a very, very thorough way, like just full of explanations, um, slow paced, that even like the first three hours, you don't even need to have Unity installed. You're just walking through examples of why things are happening. You don't have to do anything to follow along at that point. Um, the only downside to that course is it's about a year out of date, and <laughs> Unity's <laughs> okay. That's that doesn't that sounds a lot, but it, not a ton has changed about that. And mm-hmm. I can't blame them. I wouldn't want to re re record a twenty hour course every version when they're releasing a version every three or four months. Um, so they probably just update that course once a year or something. I think it was around last November or December when they made that. Um, so I do have to kind of do a, a bit of a mental translation or searching some documentation when I see something in that course and then have to, you know, the code doesn't work or there's an error with the recent API something has changed or the name of something has changed, stuff like that. But it's not too bad. It's not that far back. Another resource that I had was one of those books that we got on a Humble Bundle recently of uh, virtual reality development in Unity. And this one was written towards the end of 2015, so quite a while ago in terms of VR years. At this point, this book is only written for Oculus and uh, Google Cardboard development. They had, you know, they know about the vibe at this point, but I don't think anybody had them, or at least not the people who wrote the book. And they knew about Project Morpheus, which would become PSVR, but didn't really know anything about the development of that. Is this so the that book, Unity Virtual Reality Projects book? I think so, yeah. Okay. It was the only one that had virtual reality in the name from that list. I was just looking at the, the list on mm-hmm. my screen here. Yeah. And uh, I worked through maybe the first two or three chapters of that following along. And it was just so out of date that I decided to give up on following through the tutorials and just read through it. Um, So spent a couple hours doing that. I learned a ton from it just about VR in general and how things should work and some of the design challenges that people have worked through. So it basically just looking at the other side from what I've heard in podcasts of people talking about it from a, a less technical perspective and then hearing the, the other end of that conversation was kind of cool. And then uh, I guess two more resources that I've spent a lot of time on yesterday and today was the Ray Wenderlich site recently updated their Unity course. I think Unity by Tutorials is what it's called. I'll post okay. links for all the stuff in the show notes. Um, so I picked that up and started basically just the introduction in the first chapter and didn't get too far in it. I, I plan on spending a lot of time with that. It's very up to date for the latest version of unity. So that's where I'm going to be spending my focus. But before I dive into that, they have a series of C sharp for unity developers videos on their site. So I've been working through some of that stuff as well. Um, and if you're an experienced programmer, these videos are probably kind of a waste of time but I'm going through them anyway just to figure out the difference in syntax and just get used to writing code as C-sharp um, just to kind of get used to the repetition and how the type ahead works and naming conventions and things like that. So yeah, those are the four resources I've found so far. Um, yeah, I just need to 
put my head down and breeze through this stuff, learn as much as I can in a short period of time so I can actually get up and running. It's kind of nice to have such a narrow focus in terms of daydream development. So I don't mm-hmm. really have to learn everything about Unity or everything about virtual reality development even. I can kind of skim through or speed through the parts that would be nice to learn, but I don't need to really develop the muscle memory in certain areas. I'm I'm looking at the the Ray Wender like site. Um, I've gone through their uh, iOS game development book twice, actually, basically beginning to end. Once in Objective C and once in Swift. Um, and I really liked those books. They really kind of walked me through step by step. And I, my advice to people was normally, if you wanted to learn that stuff, get one of those books and then do everything in the book. Type in every single code example. Just do it all. Because by the time you're done, even if they're simple examples, by the time you're done, the level of familiarity that you've built is pretty solid. Um, so looking at this, that's kind of interesting. I'm wondering if they ever come out with an Unreal one. Because they've started doing Unreal tutorials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've done a couple. They've been pretty slow with those. Just Yeah. You know, they post one every six weeks or so, but they're pretty good. But if you end up shifting from unreal engine to unity and suddenly your productivity goes way up, maybe I make the transition too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Definitely can't. I think I'm going the right direction, but I could be making a horrible mistake and come back to, uh, Unreal Engine next weekend with the boombox playing our favorite song and holding it up out the window of their office, apologizing. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. The say anything reference. Thanks. You're welcome. It's not that different. There's a lot fewer editors. Like in Unreal Engine, everything... Every workflow opens a new window of a new editor style, and there's like 15 or 16 different editors. So far, it seems like there's just a handful of different workflows in Unity, and you pretty much do most of the things with a, you know, select an item in the project hierarchy and then modify its attributes in the inspector or select a game object in the game hierarchy and modify its attributes in the inspector. And that seems... You know, it's pretty straightforward. It's it's nothing whiz bang or fantastic about it. It's just easy to use. Um, you know, I've added lots of scripts as components to objects, to game objects, and not really sure if that's the only way that code works into Unity. That's the only thing I've seen so far. Um, like I haven't created. I haven't instantiated any levels or game objects purely from code. It's, it's more of building things out with the WYSIWYG tools and adding on snippets of code to do things. So I definitely have only scratched the surface. Um, the prefab concept is pretty cool. Basically just making, take a, a game object, modify it however you need. So say you make a cube and you add a certain material to it and give it a certain 
collision body and a weight and stuff like that. Just define all those attributes right in the level that you're working on, and then you can save that as a prefab, and that just basically makes a template at that point and parents the original object to that prefab, or I should say child that original object to the prefab, so that you can make as many of those as you want and just change the prefab, and it'll change them wherever they happen to appear. Oh, so it, it retains the object-oriented on the prefab kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's just literally like drag the cube from the hierarchy into the project window, and voila, you've got a prefab. So, pretty neat stuff. Cool. Well, we bumped into each other this week, and mm-hmm. I got to play with the uh, your Google Daydream and your Google Pixel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting yeah, for what it does. Um, I don't know that I am as enamored of it as you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to me... VR was something that had to cross a particular threshold. And once it crossed that threshold, I was all in. Um, I'm not sure that daydream crosses that threshold for me. Okay. Um, you know, I, what, what kind of things obviously it's lacking six degrees of freedom. It's lacking positional tracking for motion controllers and things like that. Um, what would be the wish list of things that would make you hop on the daydream or any mobile VR bandwagon? Um, so the, the controller works, but I don't think it necessarily works exceptionally well. Um, I had to constantly kind of translate in my head and experientially where I thought I was versus where it thought I was. And yeah, well, that's, that's one of the misconceptions. I, I think if you never had a Vive, you, you wouldn't have this issue. The controller isn't motion tracked in space at all. Right. They, they really intend you to use it sitting on a couch, sitting down with the controller in your hand on your lap and just pointing around, but moving your arm around and doing stuff with it just doesn't work that well you can do it and there's some shooting games and stuff like that that work but it's just not what it's intended for it is a it's a remote control first and laser pointer second and a controller third right um like you're not going to be sculpting anything in google blocks anytime soon with this thing yeah yeah it, it um To me, then, it's it's an HMD with a bit of a pointer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, a, that's and exactly that's, what it is. That's interesting, but not compelling to me. Um, I think that, I mean, I've played about a dozen games with it so far, and some of them can be pretty compelling, even with that limited design constraint, mm-hmm. which is why I want to make some. But also keep in mind, this is the first iteration of the Daydream platform. Sure. They've already announced a couple months ago headsets with inside-out 
positional tracking. And no, be don't, more advanced controllers coming over don't time, get me so. wrong, Joe. I, I, I'm not trying to say Daydream sucks and you shouldn't spend time on it. No, I um, I'm just saying. As, as we found and we've previously discussed, everybody who looks at VR wants something different from it. They get something different from it. They key off of something else. And so I think that the concept of compelling is very subjective in and of itself. And so I'm fully granting that this is a subjective statement, but I don't find that experience particularly compelling. The only thing that saves it for me is the fact that it's relatively easy to get into. Hmm. You know, I don't need a VR squire <laughs> for popping into daydream. <clears throat> and that's fantastic. And, you know, you were showing me the the video viewing and things like that. And I, I think that that could be really cool. Um, I'd be really tempted to see what happens to that thing. If you just gave it one external reference point, just one, yeah, like just yeah. mount a camera somewhere <laughs> just to get a little bit of a sense of, of something that's, that's going on as I'm moving around. Not even, I'm not even talking about room scale, just mm-hmm. slightly better, tighter tracking. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think you're going to see that with the world sense headsets that are coming out. I think hopefully by the end of the year. No, uh, is world sense part of the daydream platform or is that a different, like one of the open ones? It's basically going to be part of daydream two and world sense is the technology that they basically adapted from uh, project tango to do inside out tracking for daydream. Yeah. So kind of combining a couple different things here. Um, HTC is making one of those head tests. There's one or two other people making them as well. And then shortly after they announced that um, Oculus isn't going to make a Daydream one, but they're actually releasing a lower end, lower end compared to their current headset. So it'll probably mm-hmm. still be pretty nice. Um, but it's going to be, they're going towards that end as well as a standalone headset with some inside out tracking. As opposed to, I'm sure they're going to have a rift too at some point that's going to blow everyone away. But I, I think it's interesting that both mobile company and desktop company are both kind of going the same direction to these standalone headsets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would, when we can have VR as a separate appliance, which is a separate object that you grab, I think that's going to be really cool. I don't know if that's if those are really going to take off this year or how good they're going to mm-hmm. be or if they're just going to be dev kits or if they're going to be disasters. But I think it's worth learning everything I can now and trying to make some stuff on the Daydream store um, or even just some cardboard apps if they're simple enough just to gain the experience. Yeah. No, let me, let me express this a slightly different way. Um, if we had been at that COG meeting, the Central Ohio Game Developer Group, Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of an Oculus there as a demo machine, somebody had had a, your current daydream rig, I would have gone, wow, that's really neat. And then gone home and done something else. Mm-hmm. Um, the exposure to the Oculus was an immediately come. It was like, I have to do this. Um, and I just, I don't quite get that from the daydream, but that's me. 
Yeah. I've also I mean, been mean, wrong about a lot of stuff. So <laughs> when, when you say I have to do this, do you mean I have to go get this to experience it or I have to go get this t- so I can make stuff? Uh, both. Both. Okay. Both. Um, I, I wanted more. I had to have more. I wanted to write code for that thing. I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked around and basically the, the reading that I was doing said, Vive's a little more polished than the Oculus. And I went, okay, great. And that's what I got. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, 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 there's no value judgment there. It's just a question of what hits those right endorphins in the brain or whatever and makes you, makes me go all acquisitive. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it was neat playing with the daydream, but I didn't come home and go, okay, time to order one. Yeah. And maybe version two does that for me. I don't know. Maybe it'll be version three. Maybe I will be the guy who always wants to have the huge rig in his house. Different strokes for different folks. I guess that's the other part that's kind of drawing me towards it. Um, I've up until I got my vibe last year, I had had my computing shrunk down to basically mobile devices and a laptop. Mm -hmm. And as I got the vibe, I got more and more equipment to the point where my apartment's just overwhelmed with this stuff now. So the, the idea of, I guess, I don't know how popular this is going to be on a VR development podcast, but I don't see, (laughs) I don't see the current iteration of a Vive or an Oculus with a desktop tethered PC being necessary. I do not see that being the future of VR. I just don't. I don't see millions or billions of people who have turned their backs on laptops and desktops over the last 10 years going back out and purchasing those for just VR. I just don't think that's going to happen. And I think we, it, it's really easy in the developer community to forget the fact that most people don't have computers anymore. Like almost everybody I know who's not a developer or an IT person doesn't have one. They have maybe a tablet and a phone. Most of, most of the time, just a phone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, I'm thinking of like I want to make products that reach the most people mm-hmm. and are, are still fun and high quality to do and to make. I see that being right now starting with the Daydream platform, maybe doing some stuff in Samsung Gear VR at some point. Um, and I don't know how much success I'll have with this first iteration of Daydream. Maybe it's not until we get those inside out tracking things that I really have something that can take off where I've got less constraints. But one of the things that really keeps popping into my head this last week is because it's so limited, these design constraints kind of make me happy. Like I'd only have these things to work with and I get to just let my creativity shine with these small number of tools instead of doing what I've been doing over the last three months, which is just be completely overwhelmed by the possibilities in Unreal Engine with the Vive and Steam VR. Like you can do everything. And I'm constantly flooded with a Twitter feed of people doing just absolutely amazing stuff. And I'm like, but I, I can't even get my controller to change from this into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm I'm with you. I get that. Yeah, I see what you mean though about 
whether or not it would be as a first time VR experience, it would blow you away or make you want to get into it. And I definitely think that varies by person to person. Um, I need to find some guinea pigs, some people who haven't tried VR yet and, and see what the different reactions are. That's one thing that I haven't come across yet is like the killer demonstration app. Where for, uh, for daydream. Yeah. Like the on the Vive, the, the lab is a no-brainer. It's easy mm-hmm. to understand. It's a ton of fun to have. It's a bunch of little mini games, and it shows them several different ways to use the Vive and the, and the controllers. So far with Daydream, I've just got a couple of games, and they all take a little bit of explanation. So I really need to find something that can really show off what it can do without me having to explain much, especially since I can't see what they're doing at this point. I got an idea, Joe. Why What's don't that? you make it? I might. Not really sure what that would look like. Yeah, just just make a couple of little experiences. You know. I mean, potentially edit this out, but go ahead and steal a couple from the lab. Mm-hmm. Make a solar system. Polish it up, try and make it look as good as humanly possible. You know, but what does navigation around the solar system look like with the control constraints and the view constraints that you've got with the daydream? Mm-hmm. What's what's that going to look and feel like? You know, and and convert two or three of your favorite experiences from the lab. Because here's the thing: if they don't have one, people would probably pay for one. Like the yeah. lab is only awesome because it's free. <laughs> Um, like and everybody gets it. But if you had something that had all of those things relatively close to the beginning, it would probably be a compelling purchase for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, you price it reasonably and, uh, sell a copy to everybody who gets a daydream. Yeah. Yeah. I have to think about that. Maybe not just copy the lab, but make some, just make a couple of mini games and the same kind of concept of you're in one place and you can navigate around to these different mini games and try out teleporting and moving and pointing and shooting, using the laser pointer, using the trackpad, and mm-hmm. things like that. There's one thing I noticed that teleporting works pretty well in Daydream in the apps that I've seen it in so far. I was kind of expecting because the controller isn't motion tracked, I was expecting it to be pretty wonky, but it actually works pretty well because you're just changing the arc on the laser pointer, but you're still just pointing in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, becomes pretty easy to move around. So one of the other reasons why I think it's a good idea to switch to Unity for now, especially if I, you know, I kind of see the future of this technology being in mobile and or standalone headsets Two other pieces of technology kind of intrigue me, and that is Google Tango and Apple's AR Kit. And I haven't checked with what Unity is doing with Project Tango, but I've seen quite a few demos of people writing AR Kit stuff in Unity. And there's a, a plugin that's still in its early days now, um, 
but that's fascinating that I could actually write some AR apps for iOS from Unity directly rather than having to go back into Xcode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially if I could... It would be really cool. Obviously, this is you know much further down the pipeline, but how cool would it be to have a game that is part AR and part VR? And maybe just AR during the day, fighting <laughs> battles, doing things, and then uh-huh. go back to your fortress in uh, in VR or something like that. Go on more in-depth missions. <clears throat> Collecting things in AR and then arranging or assembling in VR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. The the words cat library have popped into my head several times <laughs> today. <laughs> so it's it's uh like pressed cats, like cats between the pages of books and you make flattened cats. No, I think the cats are books. And oh, like opening okay. them up to read them is like scratching their tummies, <clears throat> but it's a trap because they'll bite your head off when you try that. But yeah, just just imagine a cat shaped like a book. What was the one? I think it was like Mark Twain. It was uh, outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. <laughs> nice. I, okay, now I got to look that up because I got to know who said that. <clears throat> um, Groucho Marx. Outside nice. of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm moving my focus at least for now, um, I think I can. I've got some pretty good ideas of things to try. Um, yeah, I, I more or less want to become over over time and given enough time and experience, I want to become the David Smith of mobile AR and VR, the type of person who can have an idea and take it to market within a couple of months, just like he does with his apps. So I'm not talking about making yeah. you know, full you know, RPGs that take hundreds of hours to play, taking more of like the the bite-sized content, things like that. Joe's Morrowind. Yeah, um, yeah and, and honestly, if you're going to try and kind of push the edge to be an early adopter of a lot of these technologies so you can get in at the beginning of the curve – Right now, Unity seems like a better choice because they are releasing and integrating support for a lot of these new technologies earlier than and more cleanly than Unreal is. Yeah. It also seems like a good time to get into Daydream because everybody else is focusing on Steam VR and Oculus. So there's less people doing the same thing. Which means there's less people to learn from, but there's potentially less competition. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's pretty much what I have to say about VR. Um, you mean like forever? 
No, just oh, yeah, just generally excited about it. I know I don't sound like it, but we're recording this at our regular time where I'm almost dead, <laughs> as opposed to last week where I was fully activated. But uh, one thing about or a couple things about the Pixel. Um, there's a lot this phone doesn't do perfectly. There's a lot of things that iOS does better, but this may be the best productivity purchase I've ever made. Yeah. Basically, basically I'm just using my computer for development now and doing everything else on the phone. And it's just fast and snappy. The, both the Google assistant and just dictation in general can understand me so well that I never have to type anything. So all of my emails and messages and creating reminders and calendar events and all that stuff, I can just do verbally. And I may look like I'm a crazy person, but <laughs> it's pretty great. I have a phone that I technically use more, but I feel like I use it less because I just it's quick. You know, pick it up, turn it on, say some things to it, and turn it off and go back to what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, pretty pumped about it. Hmm. There's well, one. We're going to have to wait and see how that works out. But yeah, there's also uh, in the Google Allo app, which is their kind of horrific messaging app. There's a uh, <laughs> the Joe Simpson Google Mind virus. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. There's a uh, a Google Assistant thread here, so you can chat with the Google Assistant, and uh, you can set it up to send you certain things at certain times of the day. And I was playing with those settings over the weekend last week and I haven't changed them since. So I have it sending me daily mindfulness tips in the morning. And it sends me like some kind of quote from a stoic or Buddhist thinker. And then it also sends me funny videos in the evening. I'm just <laughs> scrolling through this feed. You just see these like, you know, profound quotes about mindfulness followed by cat videos and, I can has cheeseburger. Yeah, it looks psychotic. It's pretty great. I'm going to have to turn both of those off, but (laughs) neat There was, uh, I was listening to a do by Friday episode from back in January because I'm, I'm doing that one chronologically. And, uh, they were talking about, it was, he was more talking about meditation than mindfulness, but it was receiving regular scheduled notifications to remind you to do medication or meditation was very unmeditative. <laughs> Just you get that notification, you're immediately in the wrong frame of mind for doing meditation. Yeah. 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 I see what that's like. Yeah, that's pretty much what I got. You got anything fun to talk about? Um, not really. I mean, right now I'm charging four Google or uh, uh, PlayStation Move controllers at a time. Oh. I've got a gathering of friends to go to this weekend and decided I was going to take my um, uh, Johann Sebastian Joust rig hmm. with me. Have we ever talked about that game? No. You might get a big kick out of this. Um, crazy developers somewhere in Europe, kind of the north 
Western section of Europe, but I don't know exactly what country it was. The, um, the bits that hang off. Sure. And uh, they were playing with the idea is they really wanted a, a video game that they could play with their friends. But they didn't want to get together with their friends and then spend all night staring at the television. Like it violated the, the objective as far as they were concerned. So they started playing with this. Okay. We need a video game that we can play while looking at each other, not at the screen. And so these are the weird kind of design constraints that start building this game. Yeah. And so, Johann Sebastian Joust is played with PlayStation Move controllers. Okay. And they are just a, it's just a kind of a six axis Wiimote kind of thing. And, um, if functionally those are acting as, um, uh, a mercury switch kind of tied to an explosive. And so each player has one. And you're trying to make the other players move their controller too fast. So the bomb goes off. But in the process, you're trying not to move yours too fast. Hmm. And so there's this weird fencing kind of thing that happens where you're trying to dart in and tap somebody's controller while not moving so quickly that yours goes off. Where this becomes crazier is while you are playing, the computer is playing the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. And it's varying the speed of the music. The faster the music is going, the faster you can go. The less sensitive the motion controller becomes. When the music gets very, very slow, you have to move very, very slowly. The motion sensor becomes very, very sensitive and will go off with almost the slightest motion. And it has some optional settings, one of which that I like is that it just stops the music entirely. Just when it stops, you basically can't move at all. So if you're just slightly off balance and there's a little bit of hip wiggle, you're out. And so it's last person standing. Um, it plays really well in a darkened backyard because the PlayStation move controllers light up. Okay. And so you just got these little colored balls scattered throughout somebody's backyard and you're kind of hunting people down and just, just trying to tap that thing. But if you and I are facing off, and our buddy Mike just comes swooping around from behind and hits that controller where you were trying to shield it from me. It's great. A buddy of mine described yeah. it as the closest sensation that he's ever had as an adult to the feeling of being uh, 10 years old and playing tag in the backyard. Nice. Like just this, this manic, ooh, let's go again. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're playing sophisticated grown-up tag. We are, but it's a blast. The biggest thing that we had to learn was that um, our first attempts at playing the game involved um, playing the player rather than the controller. So one of the best ways to get somebody to move their controller too quickly was to grab onto their shoulder and just push. 
And so you grab their shoulder or like their forearm and push and they would start to resist. And that's when you pull. So try to push them off balance so that they move too quickly. And that worked great. The problem was the next morning, everybody woke up really, really sore from basically all of your joints being slightly out of out of socket and uh, yanking on people. So lots of almost isometric muscle tension. So after the second or third time of that, we just said, okay, you got to play the controller, not the player. Shoving yeah. the other player is just bad. The other problem that we ran into that way was that um, um, it gave too much of an advantage to large players. Like there's already an advantage to having longer arms. But when I go up against my brother-in-law and he's, you know, 280 and just huge, you know, I can't move him. Yeah. You just can't. Um, apparently the way they were working on the development was they had a, a, uh, apartment near one of the hip parts of town. And so they would prep a beta and then go out into the street in front of their apartment on like a Friday night, set up some cones to build a place to play and just start playing. And people would stop by and ask them what the heck they were doing. And they would say, here, join in, try out. And that was all they had to do to beta test their stuff. Yeah, that's one way to play. <clears throat> um, so uh, fascinating game. It works on Macs and on PlayStations, PlayStation 3s, I believe. Um, but I'll I have, have the, I have the Mac version and it's just lovely. It's a blast to play. I have to take my daydream to the park and set up some cones on Friday night and <laughs> see if I can attract some attention. I'm I'm thinking for your daydream, you, you more need like a good coffee shop. Yeah. Like coding in a coffee shop and just keep putting that thing on and taking it off and just seeing if somebody comes over and says, what the heck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Here. Yeah. Take a look. Yeah. So far, the Daydream does have one feature that the Vive doesn't, at least for my setup. And, you know, the Vive's got better tracking, better graphics, it's faster, it's more comfortable on the head, locks light out better. But with the Daydream, I can get up and go poop. <laughs> Speaking from experience here. Yeah, now you're making me sad that I actually touched your controller. <laughs> I I think I'm that was probably hygienic. a bad idea. Yeah. It's only a matter of time before I have a bathroom headset. <laughs> <laughs> just it's hanging just, on a chain. <laughs> continuous integration. There's just just every time you, you compile a new build or commit a version. It's automatically downloaded by this other machine that compiles it and puts it on the bathroom version. Excuse me while excuse me while I make this most recent commit. <laughs> Pardon me. I need I've to go to, test something. I've got to go see a man about a commit. <laughs> So that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at VRHermit underscore Dave. 
and I'm at VRHermit underscore Joe. Uh, we also have a website, VRHermits.com. If you could, like us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or your podcast player of choice. 